Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, April 2nd. Last week, BOF was proud to release the BOF Sustainability Index, the culmination of more than one year of research and analysis led by Sarah Kent, our resident expert on sustainability and big business. For the past year, Sarah has been leading our efforts to structure our thinking around how fashion can reduce its impact on the planet and improve working conditions for its millions of workers. This week on the BOF podcast, Sarah breaks down the thinking behind the index and shares the key findings in our report, The Sustainability Gap, How Fashion Measures Up. But if you haven't yet had a chance to download the more than 50 pages of analysis, or if you want to understand how we put the index together, this is an episode you won't want to miss. First, I asked Sarah why the industry needed an index like this in the first place. I wanted something like this. I write about sustainability for BOF and I'd get all of these emails from companies telling me about this new sustainable initiative they were doing or committing to some amazing new ambitious target. And I'd want to really understand one, how did this compare to what other companies in the industry are doing? And two, is it really making a difference? And it was so hard to figure it out. 
comparing one company to another was almost impossible because they're all doing slightly different things or you know moving towards a similar target but talking about it in a slightly different way and then understanding whether they're really moving the needle on these ambitions that they're setting was equally difficult to establish. So I wanted a tool to help me understand this better. And I think when we kicked off, I I was quite naive about what it would take to get this done. But I'm really glad that we kind of set out on this journey because this tool now exists, which is great for me and hopefully really useful for the rest of the industry. Um, But also you know, in, in discovering how challenging it really was to do, I think we also really did some valuable research and work to create a benchmark that does allow you to make these comparisons and does allow us to understand where the industry is going. And that's so important. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the reason that so many fashion companies are talking about sustainability is because just in the mainstream of culture around the world, this idea of catastrophic climate change is it's just becoming more apparent, uh, not just for industry people, but for consumers. So can you just explain a little about where we stand right now when it comes to fashion's role in addressing environmental and social issues on, on a global scale? Fashion often flies onto the radar on these kind of geopolitical issues because it's seen as, you know, a, a cultural industry, one that doesn't necessarily factor into people's considerations around policy or things like that. But it actually has a really important role to play. One, because it's a big contributor to the problem. Fashion is one of the most potent polluters on the planet. It also contributes to environmental degradation in other ways, whether that's through pollution of waterways or excessive waste or degradation of biodiversity. But it also has a huge cultural influence and it has power to really change people's views and behaviors and drive a shift that other industries cannot so easily engage in. Exactly. And having more visibility around these issues and that the role that fashion plays is really important. And it it also bears mentioning that this index addresses social issues as well, because the other thing that, of course, many people don't understand is just how, how many people globally work in the fashion industry and how much of those people are actually working in supply chains in the industry, from the harvesting of cotton, the making of textiles and fabrics, the production of clothes, all of that is also addressed by the index. And all of these topics intersect as well, because environmental issues will impact those same workers in the agricultural sector and elsewhere as well. So this has been a gargantuan task. I remember you walking into my office when we had a physical office space to meet in, suggesting this idea more than a year ago. How did you go about collecting all of this data and coming up with a methodology that would fairly and clearly compare industry players across the issues that we've been discussing? So had a lot of help on that front from people inside BOF with experience doing this kind of thing to begin with, who helped give us direction in terms of how to approach this. So the first thing we thought about was how would we objectively go about measuring the industry? And also, what are we trying to measure the industry against? 
So the starting point was to look at, if we think about the next 10 years, where does the industry need to get to, to align with sustainable development goals that have been set by the UN and efforts to avoid catastrophic climate change that have been agreed internationally under the Paris Accord. And based on that, we set a series of targets that we felt were required for the industry to meet in order to align with these goals by the end of the decade. And then we thought, what needs to happen? What are the series of yes or no questions we can ask to see if a company is doing the things that need to happen to show that they are meeting these goals? And we started by thinking about this internally and putting together a rough sketch. And then we realized very quickly that we could not by ourselves figure this out. And we reached out to a group of external experts, also known as our sustainability council, to help us think about this. And these 12 individuals are incredible experts in their field. Their expertise ranges from you know, labor issues through to hazardous chemicals, through to managing greenhouse gas emissions. You know, It's the full spectrum of different issues that we're looking at here. And we sat down with each of them and showed them our methodology and really went through line by line, question by question, discussing whether or not we were looking at the right things. And where this all fell out was that we decided to look at the industry across six different categories, measuring performance through transparency, emissions, waste, water and chemicals, labor rights and materials, and looking at a different set of targets within each of those categories to understand how the industry was performing against the changes that need to happen in order for them to meet ambitious goals by the end of the decade. Why did you select these 15 companies? Uh, And why only 15 companies? Why not more than that at this stage? Our starting point for this was to think about how we were going to find the information we wanted to find. You know, as we talked about earlier, data gathering is very hard here. And our starting point was that we were going to look at publicly listed companies because we wanted to only look at public disclosures and public companies tend to disclose more. Then we wanted to look at a sample that was going to be manageable this first time that we were doing this. We knew that it was going to be a big research task and we wanted to be able to really dive into each of the companies we were looking at and not sort of skim over anything. And 15 was a number that covered a reasonable amount. We had a cross section of the industry we were looking at, but also was allowed us to do this first iteration in a way that was manageable. Then what we did was we thought about, okay, how can we get a real sample of what's happening across the industry? So we looked at three different market segments. We took five luxury companies, five high street companies, and five focusing on sportswear, because all of these segments are slightly different challenges within the space. And we looked at the five biggest by revenue in each of those in order to create our selection. And we took that approach because we wanted to have a really clear framework and methodology to explain why we'd chosen each of the five companies in each segment that we did. And then you mentioned earlier that you decided to use a series of binary yes, no questions. Why was that the right approach for doing this? We really tried to break down each big ambitious target into a series of very granular questions that would enable us to 
as objectively as possible measure how a company is performing. So for instance, with emissions, you would start with, you know, does the company have a target to reduce emissions at all? Simple yes, no question. There's not a lot of nuance in there. And then you ladder up to how definitive that target is, whether it covers the manufacturing supply chain. And, and then you get into the actual data, you know, are they disclosing information about what, what their emissions are? Is it coming down? And through those very granular yes, no questions, you can answer something that's quite nuanced in, in a way that's binary. Right. So basically you're saying in each of the six categories, you start with a broad question and then you just refine more and more and more to get that level of nuance. So how many questions were there in total that you posed? There were 338 questions in total. It was a lot. And how did you engage with the companies to get all of the answers? I know it was based on publicly available information, but that information I imagine was spread all over the place. So our starting point was once we'd got our methodology together, once we consulted with our council, we sent all of those questions over to each of the companies we were looking at and you know gave them the opportunity to provide their own responses based on publicly available information. But if there were specific areas they wanted to point us to, they could do so. Or if they wanted to provide any additional information provided it was public, we would accept that. Whilst they were doing that, we did our own research. We then sent them a selection of our preliminary findings alongside any fact checks where things were unclear. One of the things that we, you know, I, I think discovered that perhaps we hadn't realized when we started is that even where companies are providing, you know, reams of information, pages and hundreds of pages of information, really understanding what they're saying is often not very easy at all. So there were quite a few places where we, you know, although we were relying on public information, we wanted to check the facts, we wanted to check that we'd understood things correctly. And so we went through that process. And then finally, we sent our final findings to the companies to give them an opportunity to agree or disagree or, or, you know, suggest that we might have misinterpreted or missed something just to make sure that we had been, you know, we're calling for transparency here. So we also wanted to be as transparent as possible in the way we approach this and as accurate as possible. What was the overall sense you got from the companies about how they felt about being held accountable in this very transparent, open way? It was actually really constructive, the engagement with the companies. They get a lot of inbounds like this. There are a lot of investment vehicles now who are doing these kind of studies. There are a lot of people asking them these kind of questions. So I don't think it was a surprise to be interrogated on this front. And mostly where there was pushback, it was for legitimate reasons, where, which sparked really interesting discussions around you know, what the appropriate way to measure something is or how we should be thinking about it. And, it, it, you know, we we intend to iterate and improve upon our methodology going forward. And it gave us a lot to think about as to how we might improve our approach for the future. It was it was a really interesting and constructive engagement, I would say. Okay, well, let's dive into the findings, because this level of research and analysis at so many different levels. I'm sure there were very key learnings across these six categories, but overall, stepping back 
from your 12 months or more of research here. What are your key takeaways about how the industry, and I think these 15 big companies are a really good proxy for how the whole, whole industry is approaching sustainability. What did you learn? Fundamentally, things are not moving fast enough. That there are big discrepancies in how advanced companies are in what they're doing. Some are certainly leading the pack. Some are really just getting started. But overall, things are not changing fast enough. And when you look at the commitments companies are making, there is not evidence to show that they are acting in a way that will enable them to meet those commitments in a timely manner. So the industry needs to get its act together, I would say, is the big takeaway. So what you're saying is basically people are making commitments, but there's not a lot of transparency or evidence to say they're actually making progress towards those commitments. For instance, a key commitment within the fashion pact draws on a similar industry-wide initiative that was launched a few years earlier, the UN Fashion Charter, under which companies committed to cut emissions across the industry 30% by 2030. Key challenge there is that when they set that target, they didn't have a baseline number for what the industry's emissions were. So they'd set this ambition to reduce emissions, but we didn't know what they were reducing emissions from. And then fast forward a couple of years and you look at companies' performance on emissions, they're all setting sophisticated targets to reduce their emissions, but finding quality data on what they're doing there or how they're coming down is really difficult. And that's a big problem. Why? Because if we can't measure what's happening, we, we don't know whether any improvements are taking place. And, you know, from an emissions perspective, there is very clear science to indicate that if globally we do not bring down emissions significantly within the next 10 years, we will not avoid catastrophic climate change. We will blow through the targets to limit global warming that have been set internationally. And it will be a really, really big problem for the planet. Our goal here wasn't to chastise or single out specific companies as high performers or underperformers, but clearly there, you know, that has been borne out in some of the data. What are the companies doing well at? What are the companies not doing well at? Who are the highlights and lowlights in the findings? I mean, I guess the one caveat here is obviously this is all based on publicly available data. So, you know, it's it's possible that companies are doing things behind the scenes or not talking about them. This is indicative of how the industry is performing. It is not definitive in that sense. But overall, where we saw companies are doing the most, we're in the categories of transparency and emissions. And I would break that down a little bit because particularly in transparency, there's a little bit of complexity here. So transparency, we covered, we looked at both whether the industry is making progress towards understanding its supply chain and tracing where things come from, which is incredibly important when it comes to addressing some of the labor issues that have been consistently raised within the industry. And we also looked at whether the industry is at taking steps to analyze and understand its impact and then disclose data on that. And where we saw the most progress taking place is in high level analysis. So where 
I think five to 10 years ago, you would not have seen companies taking steps to measure greenhouse gas emissions from their manufacturers to understand wastewater um, standards at within their manufacturing supply chain. They are now beginning to do this and they're beginning to do this for more environmental metrics and a more sophisticated level. So one, one area that is coming into focus and, and this is really thanks to the fashion pack which you raised earlier, Imran, is biodiversity. Many companies that have signed up to the fashion pact committed to measure that biodiversity impact over the course of the last year, something that almost none of them were doing previously. So you are seeing things become more sophisticated there. However, if you look at supply chain traceability, which arguably is a more fundamental issue to solve, progress there is, is, is not good at all. Most companies don't disclose real information about their supply chain beyond sort of their direct suppliers, the people who manufacture their garments, and almost no one knows where raw materials are coming from. And we've seen through issues like forced labor in Xinjiang, how significant the issues that can arise if you don't know what's going on with your supply chain are. So that's a real problem that still needs to be addressed, notwithstanding the comparative strong performance on transparency. Similarly on emissions, you're seeing companies perform strongly because they are aligning with international standards for companies to set targets and disclose information about their performance. And that's something investors are calling for. So they're setting these quite sophisticated science-based targets. But then if you drill a little deeper beyond that, data to back up whether they're moving towards hitting these targets is missing. And equally, there's not a lot of information about how they're investing to meet these targets or what their, what their strategies really are to meet these targets. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. 
You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. There were also areas in the index where the industry is very, very much lagging behind the progress we need to see. And you mentioned Xinjiang and workers' rights throughout fashion supply chain over the last year amid the pandemic, we have heard stories, we've talked to people directly here at BOF who've told us about the very precarious position that workers have been put in as a result of the pandemic, but even preceding the pandemic. Like what's the situation with workers' rights now? It's not good. The industry has a systemic problem where it has created, over the last several decades, we've moved from an industry where manufacturing was quite localized to a globalized supply chain that is opaque and difficult to manage. And as a result, we've also seen manufacturing move to countries with lower labor costs. And I I, I won't even say that it's it's poorly enforced labor regulation, because as we've seen with, with issues in places like Leicester over the last year, Labor regulation is not well enforced in countries like the UK, and you could say the same of LA and the US. So, you know, you've got a opaque supply chain that runs on very low costs where labor regulations are not well enforced. And the systems that the industry has set in place to manage this have not been working for years. They rely on uh, privatized systems of audits and multi-stakeholder initiatives that have very good intentions, but haven't really changed the game in decades. And there's not a lot of signaling that we're moving beyond those systems, even though they haven't moved the needle. I noticed that Inditex performed the best on this particular category, you know, 51 out of a possible 100, which kind of made you know, people scratch their heads a bit and say, well, how does a fast fashion company that's churning out all of these clothes perform the best? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. And I think this speaks to one of the really big challenges when you're trying to look look at something that is really about people through the lens of data. It's really, really difficult to measure. And again, we're relying on public information put out by companies. 
So the, these are limitations of our approach. But having said that, you know, Inditex outperformed because it, it provides more transparency around the outcomes of the steps it takes to monitor its supply chain than almost any of the other companies. So if you want to see the number of wage violations that took place in Inditex's supply chain down to, you know, beyond their direct suppliers, they do provide information on that, which is pretty progressive. Also, and I think this is in part because it's it's based in Spain and in, in Europe, there is a longer history of engagement with organized labor than in countries like the US. It also has a pretty strong relationship with organized labor within its own operations, which many other companies couldn't demonstrate. And finally, it is indicating that it's engaging on trying to establish living wages within its supply chain and ensuring that its purchasing practices are responsible. But, you know, Inditex does show that it is making progress on this front. Having said that, I, I understand why people question that, because it's also been among the companies raised in in reports over the last year pointing to issues of labor abuses. And I I think that just really points to the complexity here and and the challenges and and really understanding what's going on and the need for more transparency, more conversation and more engagement. The other area where the industry performed very poorly in our index was on waste. And this didn't come as a surprise to me when you first shared the data with me, because Early last year, you and I were talking about the 114 billion garments that were produced by the fashion industry in 2019. Talk to me about the waste problem and why it's so seemingly intractable. Waste is intractable, one, because the industry has always functioned in a somewhat inefficient way, in that you... You, you produce a large amount and you hope it sells. And if it doesn't, you discount it. But, but it's kind of an old fashioned way of operating that's also hard to change. We talk about things like circularity as a you know, catch-all solution, like it's a holy grail, but actually moving to a point where the industry is circular requires a huge amount of investment in new technologies, requires a huge amount of investment in, in infrastructure, which is complicated and and not something a fashion company can do by itself and really requires changing the way companies operate and investors think about value because you want to move it's really about getting to a point where you can demonstrate growing profits and value without necessarily growing volume and that's just a mindset change but I'd also say that What's interesting there is it, it, it's sort of symptomatic about the state of play in the industry, I think, where you do have these very large companies that are acting more, even if we could still see that action play out faster. But that can mask the fact that there's this huge swathe of the sector that's just not engaging on these issues at all or doing so in a really, really, really limited ma- manner. And, uh, you know, for all we want to see the the front runners continue to improve and continue to move the dial and push things forward, we need to start seeing this big kind of silent and literally silence, they're not talking about it, swathe, start to act if we're really going to see change. So is what you're saying that actually some of the smaller private 
you know, not publicly traded companies are maybe doing even worse? Absolutely. And, and, and it's not just about these companies being the largest and the most at scale. It's also about them being publicly listed and therefore subject to the most scrutiny from investors and regulators as well. You know, a lot of investors are, are looking at these issues and seeing risk for companies that don't start to act on them. And so if you're a publicly listed company, especially if you're a large publicly listed company, your investors are going to be asking you, what are you doing about this now? If you're a private company, even if you're a very large private company, that pressure isn't coming to bear. So Sarah, 12 months later, 338 data points across 15 companies, across six categories. Where does the industry go from here? What is pretty well established now is the direction of travel that's needed. We, we don't need more sitting around talking about like what the targets we need to set are or where we need to get to. What we need to start seeing is the strategies that are going to get us there. Where are the investments going to be made? What are the changes that are going to be made in the next five years, not in the next 10 years, to enable us to get to where we need to go in the next 10 years? And what are the longer term bets we need to start making so that we can have the innovation that needs to happen be at a mature enough stage by the time we get to the latter half of this decade that we can start implementing it and really making change. And let's let's not pretend this is easy. It's it's complicated. It's going to be expensive. And a lot of the technologies required haven't been fully developed or on at maturation yet, but it's it's necessary. And if these changes aren't made, the impact on the industry will be very devastating. It's about managing short-term versus long-term risk. What about industry collective action and things like the fashion pact? Does that does do those kind of initiatives help? Collaboration within the industry is incredibly important. And let's not underplay the significance of these kind of initiatives. I mean, you know this better than me, Imran. Fashion is not an industry historically that that plays well together. These companies are incredibly competitive. Historically, you do not see them sitting down at a table together to talk about issues that that may address areas of proprietary trading. You know, their supply chains are the long-held secrets. And now we're asking them to come together and start talking about them and share this information with each other. That is a big deal. And it's important because no one company can address any of these initiatives or issues by themselves. However, what we need to start seeing is these initiatives really pushing the boundaries of what is expected, not just setting a minimum baseline. You know, this cannot be an exercise to ensure everyone meets a bare minimum. It has to be, this is where the expectation is, it's high, and everyone needs to be getting there. And there has to be consequences if companies don't meet the target. If you sign up to the fashion pact and you make a commitment to meet a certain target and you don't meet that target, maybe you can't say you're a signatory to the fashion pact anymore because that does give you a a, a halo of sustainability that maybe you don't deserve. The last thing I want to touch upon is the business model, right? I mean, a lot of the things that we've been talking about are actually not just good for the planet and people. For example, eliminating waste 
and inventory is also good for business. So how do we need to think about the business model of the fashion industry and how that needs to change in order to reach these ambitious goals? Yeah, this is a really interesting and tricky question because on the one hand, there are areas of obvious efficiency where you 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 look at them and you think, why are we talking about this? Like it's a sustainability issue. It's it's a it's an issue for the CFO, and it's it's kind of insane that this much financial waste has been going on for so long without it being addressed. And and as you rightly said, inventory and waste from a sort of production standpoint fit squarely in that bracket. Similarly, depending on where regulation goes, you can see energy and water use also becoming financial issues because ideally regulators will make it more expensive to emit lots of greenhouse gases or to use lots of water, therefore incentivizing companies to operate more efficiently. Those are obvious shifts that could support the bottom line. However, what is much more complex, as we kind of addressed earlier, is this issue of how you continue to grow your profits if ultimately the way we reduce impact is by ceasing to grow output. And I think that's a real challenge for the industry. I don't think anyone has a solution yet. Certainly things like more circular technologies can help with that. I think a lot of companies would argue that if if consumer mindsets really do shift, if you operate more sustainably, you will be able to take market share from companies that operate less sustainably, and therefore you can continue to grow your output and your profit whilst sort of cannibalizing bits of the industry from others. It's not it's not clear if that will really happen. But you know, the fashion industry does not have a solution like a, an electric vehicle, which the automotive industry has, or renewable energy, which the energy industry has. We're still looking for that. And that's a really big challenge. You know, when I spoke to Jochen Zeitz, the former CEO of Puma, who's now the CEO of Harley Davidson and working on an electric motorbike, what he said to me is like, consumption's not going to stop. So the other opportunity here in terms of the business model is to think about technologies innovation, you know, new materials, new ways of doing things that are less harmful, but that will require some upfront investment. So maybe all of that money that's been wasted in excess inventory, all of that money that's been plowed into poor understanding of what the customer actually wants. There's so many things that the industry can invest in to offset you know, some of the damage that's being done by just doing things smartly and doing things in a way that's less harmful using new materials or, you know, finding new ways of decarbonizing the impact of the, of the way the industry operates. So I guess we'll just have to see how that evolves. But in the meantime, there's a ton of other work to be done. And, you know, Sarah, thank you so much for giving us this crash course in the BOF Sustainability Index. It's a really impressive piece of work. So congratulations to you for shepherding this for us at BOF. If you're interested in learning more about the index, please visit businessoffashion.com. You can download the full index there. It's a 50-page report that goes into depth on all of the things that Sarah and I have been discussing today. And we'll be exploring some of the solutions and ideas for addressing the problems and challenges across these six categories at the BOF Professional Summit 
closing the sustainability gap on April 14th. So we look forward to seeing all of you there. This is going to be a really, really big topic for BOF as we lead up to the COP26 summit in Glasgow later this year. If you're not yet a BOF professional member, podcast listeners can benefit from a 25% discount on your first year of an annual membership using the code PODCASTPRO. That's podcast P-R-O. The BOF podcast is edited and produced by Venetia Van Horn Alcama, Kate Vartan, and Kevin Bobby Blanco in the BOF studio team. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person, too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. <coughs> Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.